Hey, Dan Talks Nation. So this week we have an old friend of mine from college, Adam. Well, we actually weren't close friends in college, but post-college we've become friends. And Adam is a graduate student at Duke University in uh, psychology and public policy. And he studies gender. Ever heard of it? Um, so we met up when he was in New York this week and talked uh, a little bit about <laughs> uh, personally our experiences at Davidson. It was mostly me um, telling him what I thought of him and his boyfriend. <laughs> but um, then we got into some more substantive conversation about gender and masculinity in particular and the research that he's doing, which is really fascinating and I think you'll really enjoy um, listening to. So enjoy. Adam is very smart. Um, very funny, very attractive. You can maybe you'll see from the photo on Instagram, or if you go to his Instagram, um, and we get into that issue as well. <laughs> so uh, enjoy and take the pressure off yourself to to be masculine or to fit in in these certain ways that don't feel right to you. That's what I learned. I think we can all continue to learn that, especially. Boys and men, boys and men, women, you're pretty much all set, which is no news to you. Okay, have a listen, enjoy. Mwah. Adam Staneland, mm-hmm. former, what would, what would we be, peers, I guess. Yeah. Students, we were students together at Davidson College. Yep. I was 2015, 2014, you were 2015. Yeah, I'm 2015. <laughs> Davidson gays, but actually very separate worlds at Davidson. Yeah, there were some weird circles at Davidson. Yep, and you were in one and I was in another. Yeah, I don't think I was in a gay circle, per se. Well, you had a gay boyfriend. <laughs> I did have a gay boyfriend who was also not really in a gay circle. Right, and that was kind of the thing. Yeah. But now you are a PhD student at Duke. Yes. Dual PhD. It's a dual, yeah, it's a dual joint, program. It's a, it's technically, it's a joint, not dual. Okay, um, a joint PhD. Yes. In psychology and public policy. Yes. And you study social norms. How people learn them Mm -hmm. and how public policy informs them. Sure, yeah. So how public policy can kind of shape people's perceptions of norms. And focusing on masculinity. Yeah, um, definitely. So I started off more on the psychology side and then moved over to the policy side. Um, So story of my life, basically. Yeah. Is it the story (laughs) of your life? Yeah, I think... um, yeah, I came into Duke, so I worked for the Department of Education here after I graduated. Here in New York City. In New York City, doing like strategy and policy data analysis for them. And, and you lived in the West Village. I did live in the West Village, How yeah. much was your rent? It was like seventeen fifty. I think. I can't believe you paid that much. That How much was, was your salary? For, that was for my part of the rent. Right, that's so, your room yeah, with $1,700. And that was my room without any windows, without any... Didn't have a window? Didn't have a window, didn't have it in... How do you call it? Central AC. So you couldn't like. There's no ventilation. I had to like, like fight with the realty company basically to get them to cut what's called a cholesterol window. It's a window that goes across the top of a wall into <gasps> another room. So my window opened into the hallway. It was a it was a mess. It was How, a year. Was your salary fat? It was pretty good. Um, like pushing a hundred. No, definitely not pushing 100, but uh, Will Bolton and I really wanted to live downtown, and he found this place that he really liked in the West Village, and he paid a lot more than I paid. Not a lot more, but a considerable amount more, and and we made it work. It was really fun. It was a fun year. Um, I will never live in a room without a window again, Mm -hmm. so currently my room has, like, almost two huge floor-to-ceiling windows. Yeah, well, you live in Durham now. Yeah, I live in Durham now, but that was, like, a requirement that my future, and I've lived in two apartments there, so both have had huge windows. In your own apartment? Uh, no, no, I have room- I had roommates both times. But they're gorgeous so. apartments. They are gorgeous, yeah. Wow. Yeah. One was brand the past one was brand new of and course. felt really weird and gentrify-y. And then the new one is like feels much more authentic to Durham. So uh-huh. Because yeah. West Village is my goal, my ultimate goal in New yeah. York to live in. Yeah. But I can't I can't believe you paid that much money. It was crazy. Nobody should have lived in that room though. Did you feel like um did you have like a gay a fun gay lifestyle in the West Village or was it like everyone's Andy Cohen money and you're like not yeah club. i think i th- i think i just continued to kind of like live oh, that's not true at all i was gonna say i continued to live the same life but actually i made a few friends in the west village who were also young gay guys and who were like wildly successful no so a few of them lived in like 
Greenwich Village, I guess you would say, closer to like south of NYU. And so that's a little bit cheaper over there. And the apartments are bigger. So it would be like four to five guys in one apartment with like one bathroom. And so like you kind of make that work. Um, Mine was definitely, and our apartment's so small, so I don't want to like sound like I'm bragging about it. But it, yeah, it was just like random gay guys who thought that West Village was like the gay party area. And then um, it kind of wasn't anymore. Like it's definitely older gay than it used to be, I think. And that's now like Hell's Kitchen. So like we would, a lot of times we would like go up to Hell's Kitchen together and then come back. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say Williamsburg, but did you ever hang out in Brooklyn? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. Which is so funny because I say that I am obsessed with Durham. Like I love Durham. I think it's like the coolest city in the country. What? Yeah. Okay. I've, cause I've lived in Durham two summers, worked at the American Dance Festival. So I've like had two Durham apartments. I've been to the bar. I've been to surf. Oh, the bar is not great. It's called, the gay bar is called the bar the bar it's not it's, it's not, not great, great which is why great. it's great in my opinion but it, yeah that whole row it's like breweries like whatever yeah. i think it could be kind of like a correlation thing where my life is like falling into place at the time that yeah, I, I think maybe to it's to durham i think and maybe like, it's that it was a mess when i was in new york like job up in the mm-hmm. air school up and so like maybe that's probably why but i do yeah, love maybe. durham and i say that durham is very similar to brooklyn so it's funny that I didn't uh-huh. spend much time in Brooklyn when I was here, yeah. but I love Durham so much. So uh-huh. if I ever moved back to New York, it would be to Brooklyn. So. Really? Because mm-hmm. it's like Durham? Not because it's like Durham. I just feel like it's a, <laughs> little, get... bit, it's a little bit slower paced than Manhattan. I love Manhattan. I love being here and going out here and seeing things in Manhattan. But I need to be, at the end of the day, I need to be able to like go back and like chill a little bit. You didn't have a boyfriend in New York? I... Dated Alex Howard kind of on and off toward the beginning, and then oh, you, okay, just it, dated. It was a rollover. Yeah, you so guys were we, together for years. Yeah, we were together for oh wow, um, twenty years, twelve, twenty twelve to like <laughs> we yeah, met when like, we were five and yeah, six. four years. I would say three to four years on and off. So uh huh, yeah. And that was your first boyfriend. Yeah. Do you still talk? Yeah, we're friends now. Really? Yeah. Um, and he's gonna nice. be at the concert that I'm at tomorrow night. Okay. Not by not because we're going together, but like. We'll see each other. So, uh huh. Alex was the one who I've never been a big fan of. Alex, shout out to Alex. But he—he <laughs> he was the one who I ran into. I was here. <laughs> I lived here the summer before senior year, and my last, uh, the last night in New York, I went out. We went to Libation on the Lower East Side, uh-huh. and I remember I. I ran out of money for the first time, like zero dollars. And sure. so I went there and got um, club soda with lemon, perfect. or club soda with lime, which is perfect because it looks like yeah. a gin tonic. But I ran into Alex, and he would totally, like, I was like, oh, hey, Davidson Gaze, what's going on? Like, this is so crazy. And he was yeah. like, he literally sort of, like, pushed me off and kept walking. That sounds, yeah. He's a, he can be a little bit cold. Yeah. I will say that he's, what sh- that 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 he's shy, and so maybe that's No, why. that's not it. Nope, that's not it. Because he was at Libation. He wasn't at Libation because <laughs> he was so shy. <laughs> he, what made you... Because you're more attractive than he is. Thank you. I don't think that's true. But you I, don't? Thank you. Um, Do you have a thing where you don't think you're as good looking as you are? I don't know. Is that a... We're sitting by a mirror. This is weird. Um, well, here, <laughs> I mean. Um, I, no. I, I think that... So... You think Alex Howard is, like, comparatively attractive? <laughs> I think he's a very attractive person. Um, Could be more so than you, you think? Maybe people have different preferences. Attractiveness is subjective. You didn't think that he, you Question were out of his mark? league? No, not at all. Especially wow. not at the time. Well, um, at the time he was, like, three years older. Like, yeah, he was, yeah, he's three years older, two grades older. Mm-hmm. Three years, two grades. Does he come yeah. from a lot of money? Um... I wouldn't say like a ton, not like pe- not like people at Davidson. You find out about and you're like, oh, that person's like a Kennedy or something. Yeah, not that kind of money. Uh huh. Do you come from money? No. Right. I'm from South Carolina. I'm from like. Rural I was gonna say South you're Carolina. like trashy beach town. Yeah, exactly. Fully. Murray but you're beach. very sort of refined for being from such trash. Oh, no, no. Shout out to South Carolina beach towns. Yeah. But you're um, from like honky tonk. I am. It's like a big. I'm very proud of it. Uh huh. But you've retained none of the aesthetic. Yeah. (laughs) Also proud of that. Uh (laughs) No, I think uh, my parents growing up, we traveled a ton. And it was just, like, something that they really cared about was, like, being basically out of the country. Like, I used to say that I'd been to more countries than I had, like, states just Uh because my parents wanted to travel so much. And it's kind of how they chose to spend our money, which Uh I really appreciate. What, um, so what attracted you to Alex again? (laughs) Um... We were a limited pool, so right there's a small pool at Davidson. Yeah, but there were. Okay, I don't even I'm think sorry. That, I'm going to listen more. Well, I think that <laughs> I think that when we, when I started to come out, 
we started like hooking up slash dating before I came out and then I saw like how he was with his friends and kind of made me start to come out as well and um it was just like I didn't there was never anything else because in the rest of my time at Davidson we just dated and Mm so I guess I didn't really get to meet anyone else there and didn't Mm -hmm. really do the whole like online dating thing um until like New York I guess and so it just kind of like we were friends and then we were more than friends and then we kind of broke up and realized like oh we should have just always like stayed friends Uh that's how it happened I think maybe he disagrees so we haven't really ever reflected on it together (laughs) so did you you come out um to your parents as I don't want the whole story but did you say I'm gay and this is Alex Um, like I have a boyfriend because I'm always um I think that's an easier way to come out than uh, I'm gay and that's it yeah I think that I came out to them before I met Alex so I came out to like my really close friends from childhood home growing up then my parents that summer, and then in the fall, Alex and I. And then that's after that fall is when I started coming out to people at school. Oh, okay. And so it's kind of like tears, mm-hmm. but they were parents were before, and it was just like, love me or don't love me. Uh-huh. <laughs> but they were good with it. Then they came around. Uh, there was some like, what does the Bible say talk? Um, what are your friends, what are our friends going to say? Some of that. And then my mom tried to give me like a book, and I kind of just was like, okay here's like another book and i gave her a book and so she finally was like well i don't want to read these so like whatever it doesn't matter uh-huh. <laughs> so that's how because they were christian light kind of uh mom super christian dad not super christian but okay but a dude both didn't care yeah okay dad was more like laid back i think i don't think he would have ever i don't think he wants to care about and he doesn't care like, about any of the details of my relationship either way uh-huh so and then mom's like fully invested in everything uh-huh. now uh-huh so. Have you experienced any, um, like, rejection in the gay community? At Davidson, I think. What? I think... Do you think I experienced... uh, Because the difference is you were, like, one and done at Davidson, and I really did a round robin in the the dating puddle there. But it's like, there was, like, ten guys, and I hooked up with, like, five. (laughs) Literally ten guys. Yeah, and I hooked up with five, and you were dating one of them, so there's four guys who I thought were nice, but I didn't hook up with. Right. Um, I know that a lot of... I didn't actually didn't know a bunch of this until way later after I graduated and someone who someone like drunk texted me like this long apology text out of nowhere one night it was very strange it was like super super long someone who's not gay um and was just like I really wanted to talk up with you I didn't feel like I could say no no it was a woman <laughs> uh-huh. a straight woman who said me, that who texted me this long text not sorry to me but like kind of sorry to me but sorry like I didn't stick up for you more when people were talking trash about you and so it was like who talked trash about you I don't know see this is my this thing is all, is these I... are all like it's it was a very strange super long weird text like <laughs> and this person was like I really appreciate everything you said like in the one class we had together about your experiences and you were so open and I really sort of like you were a great person I should have stood up to you stood up for you and I have a feeling and idea about like who um didn't like me because I guess I didn't I didn't participate in the gay community of Davidson because I don't think I was fully like comfortable with myself uh-huh. yet. You're saying gay people didn't like you. Yeah, and so I think okay. there was like push back. Against I think it's because you were the prettiest cheerleader. <laughs> no, I don't think that at I'm all. I'm telling you from the one of the not as pretty cheerleaders that I think that's. What I think you're kind beautiful. Thank you so much, but that's really <laughs> irrelevant. But I'm really bad at talking about appearance. Also. You are. Yeah. I. It's funny to me that the most attractive people are the most like I don't know. I mean, everyone's ugly somehow. You know. You know, like <laughs> Alex somehow. is beautiful. Uh, well, he was yeah. like a like kind of weird looking hairy guy mm. with yeah. a good heart, I'm He's sure. Scary. And there's so, there's a lid to every pot, but I'm just saying. Yeah, true. And well, I think you and him were kind of on your own island. And I think the 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 whiteness and the pastelness of it all made it seem a little like oh, you interesting. weren't interested in being part of like any sort of edgy progressive community. Which is funny now that yeah. you're like so invested in the study of marginalized groups yeah i think at davidson it was a little like you guys were like in it's so uh, interesting in your own club in that i've way. never heard like perceptions of like people outside of like our close friends uh-huh so well that's what someone on an island would say yeah that's true <laughs> that's very true did you have a perception of me out of curiosity i don't think no i mean okay. I, I i honestly thought that you were probably in that group who like didn't like me for whatever reason and so yeah but now that I know more about, like, who said those things and stuff, so. Uh-huh. Not, not a big deal, but it was, like, it was my first experience after having 
come out like that was like oh great this sucks like <laughs> welcome to this new world where like oh everyone like- hates you if you are a certain way but aren't a certain way and so it felt just as constraining in a way yes. as being not out and yes. so yeah that was challenging because that's what i it's like for um people who, before i came out i think there's a narrative that i've now learned is not true that once you come out it's kind of like rainbows and butterflies mm-hmm. and like the people that do matter do love you, and they, if right. they don't love you, they don't matter. Right. But, like, within the gay world, like, the gay-on-gay gay crime is kind of real. Yeah. And, like, the side-eyes and the who and what, when. Yeah. It's gossip like, circuit. It feels like there's, like, only so much space, and, like, only certain people should occupy it. And I'm like, why does it have to be that way? It's not... It's kind of this minority effect, and there's... Some people study this kind of thing where... Like, amongst minorities, there's, like, competition for limited resources kind of thing. And so, like, when you come out or when you're, like, one of the few black people in a situation or, like, other kind of, like, X identity, then you feel like if someone else comes into that space and tries to take that identity, it's kind of, like, taking your specialness from that situation. Naomi Campbell, Tyra Banks. Right. Sure, yeah. The Tyra, that's a good example. Yeah, so, like, for example, I would be the the Naomi (laughs) of Davidson. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, it's not true in every no. single way. Yes, um, but yeah, that's that was my unfortunate. I think first gay big, and so then when Alex and why was it unfortunate again? Because because you just, didn't feel connected. Yeah, I think when I came out, I was more expecting like connection to a new community, and instead I felt like the opposite, like almost like rejection from something that I wasn't even doing. Did you want to go to the the secret gay club? What I did. I went like twice to. Was it GSA then? No, it was. Uh, it, had um, a it had some. It had some gay name. Yeah. No, I went. It was like secret I, gay. It was literally secret gay meeting. This was yeah, where Davidson was. This was, was the progressive thing. And then the acronym was like a secret. Had something to do with secret something. It's when I was confidential there. or something. Yeah, but it was that would be a very long acronym. And then there were. And then, <laughs> <laughs> it was called confidential. Yeah. Um, but and, I and there went, would be secret parties. Are you talking about the parties or the meetings? No, the meeting. I went to the okay. meetings and the parties. Okay, and I went secret parties also, which was yeah. the realty. Yeah, so I went went to one of those, I think. But I went, I went by myself, and then I had a mentee when they were doing. I don't. This might have been after you graduated, maybe. But I think when I was a senior, I had a mentee who was a first year, and she was like trying to navigate like whether she wanted to come out and so it was like people who were literally still in the closet and you were like your their mentor about like the coming out press so it was like a very bizarre setup like it wasn't like they just come out or they're already out and they're gay and like it was like this girl knows nobody knows that she's bi or gay except like, you except for me who I, who hasn't known her ever in her life so it's like getting to come out to a random stranger and try it out and so I would take her to stuff and go to her with stuff, go to stuff with her. But like, other than that, like I was like, I'm not staying here because I'm getting like side eye. Side eye. You are. Yeah. It you was did. Like, and then the one party. This was I w- the prettiest. Cheer- I'm telling you, it's the prettiest cheerleader thing. <laughs> the party thing. The one party that I went to was really fun. Um, and a lot of the gay women at Davidson were really fun. To- and they were they were younger than me, so they would have been not uh-huh. there. They were like first or second years. Do you feel more meshed with the gay male, like with other gay guys? Now? At Duke? Yeah. Oh, uh... No. I've been Did really, you feel that way in New York? No, yes, definitely in New York. I okay. feel re- I've been really bad about doing gay social group stuff at Duke. Uh-huh. There are, like, groups, and I've just been really bad about joining them because there's so many Davidson people in the Triangle, and there's, uh-huh. I have, like, New York friends have moved to the Triangle, and then I kind of have, like, a f- gay friends in Raleigh and Durham, and so I haven't, like, had the time or, like, felt the need, but I do want to reach out and, like, be a part of it somehow. At some uh-huh. point. Um, I also feel like old because all the people are like young but okay how old you're 26 yeah okay I'm 27 yeah Um, what was it about New York that made it more fun like all the drinking the drinking definitely doesn't (laughs) hurt to make things fun would you hook up fun during would you hook up often Uh, no I did not hook up often Um, and that was like something that (laughs) I really struggled with this is why you're not connecting yeah, I know. It's just, it's just, that's a huge like point of contention for me. You're like, personally. I love lesbians and not hooking up. Yeah, like, okay. exactly. <laughs> I get along with lesbians and I don't hook up. It's okay. Maybe I'm not gay. Maybe I'm like a straight woman. Maybe I'm a gay woman. I don't know. Maybe. But are you? Pre- you're pretty clear about your gender. Yeah. You're like you like hit boy on the head. Pretty yeah. clear. Thanks. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, Why do you say thanks? What was I gonna say? Because one time we were out at this. I was out at home in Myrtle Beach, well, North Myrtle Beach, and this woman, it's just like something that I get over and over, that, like, you look like the 
typical like American white boy. And so this like woman as an insult like yelled at me. I don't even, I don't remember what she was. I was like getting her to not fight my friend basically. They were all drunk. And she was like you shut up like Ralph Lauren or so like pull Ralph Lauren or Lauren or whatever it was and I was just like that is so perfect thank um, you for it. it's, <laughs> it's so hard you, so I remember when I was in a mall and someone screamed out at me Tommy Hilfiger go yeah. back to your ranch where you belong so that's so like, hurtful yeah so I've yeah I was, what were we talking about before that though in New York oh, the drinking up. but you don't like hooking up yeah you don't like it because it's like physically you're not like are you like sapiosexual where you need the, is that where you need the mind connection is that, that I think sounds, it's called that that sounds cool yeah but, you should say that to make it sound yeah, better that than great. what it probably is um no I've always felt a lot of pressure to hook up a lot because I feel like it's like what the culture demands at least in New York especially in New York yeah and I'm just like I don't want to I'd rather like go to bed because you need because to put I, your face cream on and yes like, and like eat ice cream in bed and like I have shows to watch I need to get up early and like do work the do you, next day. Do you think your sex drive is lower? I don't know because no. Are you um, nervous about it? Yeah. You are. No, I'm not nervous about having sex necessarily. But I'm saying like their apartment, where like who? Oh lives no, there. no. Uh, okay. Well, like creepy, like one-off grinder situations that kind of scares me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't know anything about the person. Uh-huh. Um, not to say I haven't done that, but it was like definitely when I was younger and definitely stupid. Uh-huh. Um, but now I'm just like. I see I compare myself to my friends because like we all do and like some guys are like I have sex all the time because I'm like horny all the time and I'm like I'm just not so I guess I do have a lower sex drive okay but in the moment I don't feel like I have so it's like yeah the getting you there sure takes me longer but like once we're in the moment I feel like it's I have no problem. Do you have to? Do you have, do you have to come every day? I mean, this is not a good question um, for the. Listeners. No, I do not have to. come. You don't. No. Okay, so it is a little lower. No. Okay. okay. Yeah. So is that average? I don't I'm. Know. I'm. I have to say, I am only comparing you to me. So. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> okay, glad to know that you're average. Yeah. Now. I'm sorry. I am a one a day. Yeah. Girl. Well, maybe I should start tracking it. One As a scientist, so that's which brings us to your work, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is really what I would like to delve into. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, um, you've done extensive research on this type of shit, but it's but tell me if it's more geared towards um, like what happens in childhood, or if, or if you're also looking at adulthood. Like, what are the pillars of the work that you're doing? Yeah, so let's qualify extensive research. I have a lot of pro- projects. More like, than most. <laughs> More than me, again. I have a lot of projects underway currently. I think I have like seven or eight projects happening right now, which stresses me out a lot to talk about that. But um, I'm like in the midst of publishing one big one that's like going to come out soon, which is like my baby project, which has been a culmination of two years of work. So that project, is which will is... Be boys? Uh, <laughs> I wish like down the road. That's, okay, okay. That's there's like so many books that already have that title though. Like oh. piss me off. Okay. But I have to think of something else, or I could just use it again. But um, so that project has been two years of work, and basically it describes my research pretty well. Which is there's this thing called the precarious manhood hypothesis that says that when men's masculine or manhood is masculine identity or manhood is threatened, they become aggressive or do aggressive things or like become sexist or something to establish, reestablish that manhood. So it may, it's going to be obviously like more intense for certain men than others. But like, basically if I insinuated to you that you weren't a good man or that your manhood was not adequate or like something subtle like that in some way, you would do something subtle to reciprocate or to bolster your masculine status or get a little turned on depending yeah i mean it may work differently for gay men than straight men so <laughs> this is a great it's a research question you're talking mostly about the straights i'm talking about all men I'm talking about all yes. men and the most most men are straight leaning yeah but I, w- I would argue that a lot of and i'll get to this but a lot of gay men maybe struggle more with this precarious manhood than straight men do interesting um, because of this research that i'm about to put out Hopefully it'll be out before your podcast is out so no one can scoop me. Uh-huh. But um, <laughs> um, so that hypothesis says that, and it's it's called precarious manhood because there's no equivalent for womanhood. So when you threaten a woman's womanhood, sh- nothing happens. They're just like, oh, okay, well, great. I'm and not what's an example woman. of threatening a woman's? Like, womanhood. That's a good question, right? Like you can't. Um, there's uh-huh. no. There's well, no you word. Could be like, uh, yeah, there's not a word. I guess. Yeah. So yeah. the word for it for men is emasculate. There's no word for it for women. Like our language doesn't even. There's have. no effeminate. Yeah. 
emasculate. Yeah, there's no effeminate. There's effeminate, uh-huh. which is also another bad word to describe like men. But there's no yeah. there's no equivalent of emasculate. And so huh. it's unique in the psychology world because like you can't threaten that status for women, even though it's supposed to be like an equivalent gender identity. It's not threatenable. Hmm. So there's been a ton of research since this original work came out in like 2008 um, that's set, that shows us across like a variety of domains. So it's not just aggression. It also is like violent behavior. Men get more violent um, like physically. They get more sexist in response to these threats. Like they'll be less likely to endorse women for like jobs than men after they've been threatened. And a recent study just came out that showed that if you like threaten a man's masculinity or make him like t- call him gay or something like that, then he's less likely to endorse like pro environmental behaviors. So this like is a really far reaching kind of effect. It's not just constrained to like aggression. Uh-huh. Um, and it also had also has effects on men's own like self esteem. So like when you do it, it lowers their self esteem. So it's not just like men are bad and hurting the world. It's also like well, it's stemming from somewhere like internal. Yeah. So that's kind of where my research comes in. Is that I looked at this hypothesis and was like. This doesn't make sense because not all men are like this, right? There's got to be some, like, individual difference thing that's predicting their aggression after they've been threatened. And just stop me if I get, like, too And it, well, an example of threatening would be, like... So in my work, we, in this one study that I'm... It's actually, like, four different studies, but in this package that we're about to put out, we just had them take, like, a Qualtrics online survey thing, so they just took, like, random gender questions. So it would be, like... Um, yeah, what's a gender question? I was like trying to think. They're really, they're like really upsettingly stereotypical. So it'd be like, show two pictures. Like, which of these is like a uh, Ducati? And which of these is like a brand of like, what do you do with like. Um, <laughs> I'm feeling, yeah, I'm feeling this. Like, test. where do you wear, like, what's that shoe brand? Manalo Blondique or something like that? I don't even know how to okay, say it. Okay, this is another reason why you're not a part of the community. See? Manolo Blahnik. <laughs> yeah. Are you talking about Christian Louboutins or. No, no, the first Manolo one, Blahnik. the shoes. Okay. And so it's like, and then it would ask, like, are, do you wear those on your. Head every so it's like stereotypical male and female questions, okay. and they're just presented at random to participants. Okay, it's like testing then, knowledge. Right. So the whole backstory of the research is like, you're taking this, you're taking this quiz. Um, it's going to be on a random topic from your childhood. So first, fill out this question about like, and then everyone thinks they get a different question, but everyone actually gets this question that's like, please describe what it meant to be like the ideal man or the ideal woman when you were a kid, like growing up, who do people around you admire? Uh And so then they fill that out and they fill out a bunch of questions, like survey items related to that. And then it's like, all right, now you're going to take a quiz on that topic from your childhood. Like it's a personality assessment, but it's based on like memories and like how you remember gender related stuff. Okay. So it basically just makes no sense. If you actually thought about it, you'd be like, this makes no sense. But people taking this stuff don't think about it. Uh And they're more interested in like, ooh, I want my personality result. Yeah. So they take all these, uh, answer all these questions. We don't know if they're right or wrong. We don't even like measure that. We just give them either feedback at the end that's either you are just like the average man, like here's your score, this is what it means, plotted on a graph and everything. Or we give them feedback that's like, you're you less are than way average less man. masculine than the average man. In fact, you are more fit. You are... Which you just generated. It's not based on whether they need Ducati or not. No, no. It's based on nothing. So it's like they could have <laughs> answered anything. They could have gotten all the female fantastic. ones right or all the male ones right and none of the female ones right and they would still get... They could have still gotten like... This is It's fantastic. randomly assigned to either condition. Uh-huh. And just that alone, like reading that assessment has been trying to like increase men's aggressive cognition after they so then they do another task that measures their it's like a word completion task and you can tell their foster cognition yeah and we can like see like you completed these words in this way instead of this other way that you could have completed them and that means that you're more thinking more aggressively right now than not um wow so we did all of that with them and one of the so past research shows the precarious manhood thing would show that like Men get more aggressive when you threaten them than when you don't threaten them. So check, we found that. Women don't get aggressive either way. Check, we found that. So we're replicating this past research, which is great. But additionally, we also included the scales at the beginning, which measured men's motivation for doing masculine stuff. So like, if I were to do something like really manly, am I doing it because I want to and it feels intrinsically motivated, or am I doing it because I feel socially pressured yeah. um, to do that thing? And yeah. so what I was thinking... Like, are you flubbing Manolo Blahnik because you actually don't know right, it? Right, exactly. Or are you trying to, like, fuck it up because you right. super know it and you want to make it seem like you Right. Know. Yeah, I think of, like, when people... I can tell that you really don't, unfortunately, really don't but that's okay. <laughs> and I've, like, typed it so many times. Um, that's horrible. Yeah. Okay. The first time I actually heard someone say it aloud was after I'd read it for this thing that I was doing and I was like oh that's how you say it okay. um, 
And I know plenty of other gay things. Uh, do you? Um, We're do, we'll do a round of now. I'm feeling like threatened about my gay identity. Well, get ready. <laughs> this is welcome to my study, honey. Yeah, <laughs> welcome to my research. Surprise. Uh huh. Um. So what was I gonna say? Oh, so I had this notion that there's something going on where all men, to some extent, feel pressured to do things masculinely, right. manly, because they. Not because they want to, because they feel pressure to. Dan joining freshman high school basketball. So many examples. For example. Yeah. When I talk to people about this research, it's like, oh, this, this, this. Yeah, it's like... Cargo shorts. Everyone feels pressure to do things related to their gender that they don't want to do. Mm -hmm. Women included. And Mm -hmm. so, like, it just, I think, has differential effects because manhood in society has a higher status than Mm -hmm. womanhood. And so, like... We're not even in China or something. This is, like, happening now. This This is... these. This data is with college-age students who are very educated and very progressive and like still these results they would probably be more extreme in more conservative societies but um so basically what i was thinking is that there's got to be individual differences that predict how aggressive men are in response to this threat um what could it be and so my thinking is that it might have something to do with the pressure that men feel to conform to these norms like maybe if they didn't feel pressure there wouldn't be aggression when they are threatened right so there's this thing called self-determination theory that says that when you feel pressure to do something because you don't want to, it's bad, basically. And when you want to do it because it feels intrinsic, it's good. And so we use that theory to kind of pair it with this other theory. And we found that for the men who were threatened, that their pressure was actually like a function of how much, that their, their aggression was a function of how much pressure they felt. So like mm-hmm. the more pressure that you felt, the more aggressive you were after you were threatened Mm -hmm. and it was really cool because the guys who reported feeling no pressure to conform to masculine norms so like listen i know these norms but i don't feel like any pressure to like i don't do them because other people want me to they just weren't aggressive after they were threatened Uh so now with that finding which is really cool and it's been two years of work because we had to come up with these scales we had to test them we had to validate them which in psychology takes like so long and it's like different studies entirely um but now my line of work is kind of moving down the lifespan, as we say, into kids and, like, boys and stuff and looking uh-huh. at, like, how can we, one, shift the norms of an environment to make them kids feel less pressure, and two, how can we maybe encourage boys, it's called, like, healthy resistance to masculine norms. So help okay. them, like, identify a norm like that and then say, like, I don't have to do that or I don't, like... To just, take the pressure piece away. Yeah, to so really- somehow, either way, mitigate the pressure. So whether it's removing the norm or whether it's, equipping boys with a tool to resist the norm uh-huh. both hopefully would in some way allow them to to the, the to mitigate that pressure yeah because the problem is that with the pressure is that if you feel naturally inclined towards all these boy things you don't actually feel a pressure to go to them you just do them you just, right you like sports you like trucks yeah you like steak you like women it's like, and yep. then the whole world is built that way, and you don't feel any pressure, and that's why straight white guys are like, okay, yeah, like things are like kind of fine, yeah. Well, if it, like, but then if to... like if if there's a uh, trait that doesn't line up with you, like oh, I like this kind of coffee, right, or oh, I like to wear short shorts, right, but then you think I can't. The pressure is what creates the aggressive reaction. Exactly. Perfect. Nailed it. And so that's kind of why I have an issue with like phrases like hyper masculinity which i use them in my writing and speaking too because it's really easy but hyper masculinity kind of puts a judgment on like a set of characteristics that we know as masculinity which is i i think it's more of like what you just reiterated which is like it's this inconsistency between one's own like identity and intrinsic motivations or desires and like societal pressures mm-hmm. and this unique place of manhood in society that's like okay well I, if i want to be that which i think like no one's going to say that they want to be like low in status in the world like if i want to be that i'm going to be pressured to do that and if i fail to do that i have to somehow reassert myself so like i've thought so much about like my friends who are changing like genders and like coming into their own as like different genders and i was like i just don't feel any motivation to do that Uh and so i've like should i i've thought about like should i be go by gender neutral pronouns should i was like no because like i feel very aligned to these things that are considered masculine and that's just like 
how it is, but I want also to be able to do research and like create a world where everyone feels aligned to just like be whomever they are. Yeah. Um, and so, and maybe you're you're like a really good Trojan horse for that because everyone is like, oh, cool, like yeah, you're very palatable. <laughs> maybe yeah. I mean, that's there's unfortunately something to be said for that. Well, because it's like JVN or something, Jonathan right. Van Ness, yeah. or I don't know, you know, Carson Cressley or someone who is has the same message in a lot of ways they're coming at at it from a like media culture perspective versus yeah. an academic perspective but sure. like i think there's something really special like there's a unique um potential that your work is bringing to the conversation yeah. and that it's like documenting it maybe i'll get to like talk to jvn at some point uh, I better talk to him first, and I better pre-interview you to prep you for yes. your convo with him. Please. Um, do you... How... Um, this is obviously related to sexuality. Yes. But you're focused on the gender thing. Mm-hmm. Do you find... Um, like, have you seen the sexuality piece play a role? Like, do you ask these people, do you identify as this, that, or other, and you see different responses in there? Um, we have asked, and so we've asked this question too. We've run this kind of paradigm study with, like, almost a thousand men so far, and we only started asking about the sexual orientation piece later on because initially we wanted to keep the study really short and tight, um, and then we opened it up a little bit to some more questions, but... We have yet to look at kind of the sexual orientation piece and oops, sorry. Oh, it's telling me to breathe. It's so weird. What? You don't have oh yeah, it like tells No, I you, don't have an Apple Watch. It tells you to like breathe three times a day to like take slow breaths and Jesus Christ. I need a shot of vodka <laughs> two times a day. <laughs> I know. Shot. <laughs> so that that I would yeah. download. Um what was I saying? I don't remember now. Oh, sexual orientation. Um yeah, but I kind of also have my own thoughts about that but i think it's a question that which are what it's an empirical question um like i was saying that the sexual orientation piece may there's reasons that it may play a huge role in this social pressure masculine pressure thing or may not and it may be the same across men i think theoretically i want to show in this regard that gay men are no different than straight men Mm -hmm. that every man feels an inclination or a pressure to conform to a set of norms. Yes. And it's large, it's more dependent on that person's environment than it is on their individual person. Mm-hmm. It's ultimately like an interplay between the person and their environment. Yes. But that there can be like a straight man who is very effeminate and feels a lot of pressure to conform to these masculine norms because their masculine norms are not related to sexual orientation per se. Okay. And there can be like, you know, like hyper masculine gay men who right. like, feel no pressure to conform except for they like to have sex with men. Yes. So there's like, it's kind of but like... But don't you always look at them with a side <coughs> eye? Which ones? The, <laughs> the hyper-masculine gay guy. Don't you think they're holding back something? All um, of I By that I mean all of them. I'm just <laughs> I think that... I, I make myself uncomfortable sometimes with the questions I ask. I, know, I just think I it's really... That's a complicated question. Um, it is complicated. Because masculinity I do is like a very to fraught keep, topic in yeah, the gay community. For sure. I do like to keep sexual orientation and gender performance completely separate in my research. Like, I will look yeah. at them together. But, like, me, for me, conceptually, they are different. Mm-hmm. And until we can show that there's some neurological connection between, like, quote, acting gay and being gay, which we can't and we haven't. I then, can. <laughs> then we don't have it. I just think that, yeah. <laughs> They're, they're pro- honestly, there probably is some connection. That's fine. I just don't... I think that our societal norms are a bit exaggerated in terms of, like, what it means to be a man um, and how that's done well. Do you think people know you're gay when you meet them? I hope so. Do you um, give them little hints? Yeah, for sure. I used to not, and now I'm, like, offended when they don't. I'm offended both ways. I just hate when anyone, like, like it's like oh I knew oh I didn't know like I just think that's such a rude stupid yeah. thing to say the nicest thing my friend said when I came out was like like they sort of were surprised they were surprised that I accepted it finally I think but, <laughs> but they were yeah, really exactly. nice about not about being like yeah I just believed whatever you told me yeah and, and my closest friends were like yeah we really believed you yeah and now we believe you now like yeah, yeah. I think that yeah I just none, none of that rubs me the right way uh huh um but I am doing a cool new project on sexual orientation. 
So I'm venturing into that area. Before we get on to talk more about sexual orientation, it's, the key is really about removing this pressure. I think. Because you don't feel like you are holding back in terms of your gender. So it, again... Like in it, terms of your feminine qualities. You don't not in my day-to-day safe Durham or New York like bubbles, no. But I always think about this like example when I first started setting this and I was like in my Durham bubble and felt super secure and like was trying to think of all these things that could constitute pressure for me. And then I went on a trip to the mountains, I think it was like Asheville or somewhere near Virginia even, with a few friends and we stopped at a gas station and I remember I was wearing like a big pink hoodie it's like an Adidas hoodie or something and like really short like workout shorts and I think like Birkenstocks and I looked out of the car and I was just like it was all these like old redneck dudes and I was like I can't get out of the car I can't get out I have to change clothes or I have to like duck down like I can't and I was like oh shit okay this is this is what happens and so I think that at any given moment that pressure can like come back immediately yeah and who knows if those guys would have been like hateful or made fun of, like I don't know but it was just based on like my associations between that kind of person and how they look like I'm obviously judging them too right and my own like idea of how that situation would have gone down yeah and so I think in general yes I feel less pressure um in certain contexts no it's definitely still there and I think I also think that I think this might be also like a past research thing that as people go through their lives they kind of like curate environments that are like easier for them to thrive in right? oh you so think like, adam you right think? yeah <laughs> i know i'm trying to think if there's I like moved to new york because it was better right i mean obviously like the gay flight and stuff like that but yeah so it's hard to say because we're actively like removing things that will cause us like distress and pressure as we navigate through our lives yes to some extent yeah. family's a different story for a lot of people so right. i think that's an interesting thing to study too what is your what is the sexuality research that is coming up that you were talking about research yeah um or like the question you were going to ask or which one well you said i'm doing a future thing about oh yeah sexuality. no one of i work with a few undergrads which is like really fun and one of them is spearheading a project on like just like interpersonal liking and how people smart people think other people are but it's focused on people's perceptions of gay men when they don't know their sexual orientation so we this is over the computer and we get people like you can it's basically the same study that i just described before but it's read to you it's like you're navigated through it by a voice and the voice is like one of two voices that are definitely sexual orientation girl is this a ducati there's one that's more (laughs) effeminate i will say like stereotypically effeminate there's one that's deeper sounding but like still pretty effeminate but they're they're like when people rate them they fall typically right in the middle of oh i think it's gay i think it's a straight voice oh and so then we asked them to like take do the whole study where they're threatened and so it's already a tense situation and then they're asked to like rate the the person who they've heard on like how competent they seem how much they like them and they're also asked to rate them on how masculine they are and how whether they think they're like straight or gay on like a seven point scale so uh, we're finding... By the way, gays do this every time they go out anyway. Right. So it's, I think there's a lot of implication for this. And also, like, when you're meeting someone for the first time or even talking on the phone, you can't see someone, like, you're constantly trying to make, like, judgments and perceptions about that yes. person. Yes. And so we find, we're finding, and we're running a few follow-up studies on this, but is that the likingness and, like, how competent someone thinks someone else is is largely based on how masculine they perceive them to be. Uh-huh. So... Kelsey Breeze. Yeah, exactly. So That's why I'm so beloved. Right. So the more masculine so people, mask. people think the voice is and the more they like it, but this is actually that relationship, that liking and masculine is even stronger if people think the voice is gay. So it's like it's like a buffer if it's the straight voice, right? It's like we're gonna like the straight voice really like no matter what, it's like fine. But if the voice is gay, then that relationship is like kind of like a lot more exaggerated. As in, like, they'll love it more? No. So, like, so think about it this Like, so the straight voices are kind of, like, always at, like, a, oh, like, the voice was fine. Like, yeah. my experience in the study was fine. And then when the voice is gay, how much they like the voice was just really dependent on how masculine it was. So it's, like, uh-huh. straight people are, like, get, like, a free pass in this situation. And then when people so think the sheepish, voice is gay. A sheepish gay guy or a baritone yeah. gay guy and like everyone's kind of cool with you baritone gay guy would be up there i mean a baritone um, um straight guy 
Yeah, like, even a baritone kind of... gay guy would be, or deep voice, masculine sounding gay person would be perceived as like on the same level as a straight uh-huh. person. A straight. But um, then a, as you go down the masculinity scale, like it starts <sighs> to like you less and less. Yeah. Do you find that? But only if you think you're, like, if they perceive you as a straight feminine sounding person, that's also fine. Uh huh. It's the straight thing that is the most important. Yeah. Seems, and so we're testing, <laughs> we think, those are, those are all like correlational things, but now we're going to run some experiments to see like which one's more important for people. Yeah. Is it being gay, being straight that's really important first primarily and then masculinity, or is it the masculinity that's primarily important then? I don't care what you're <sighs> So keep you updated. Oh my God. <laughs> but yeah, it's a really smart undergrad who's running that stuff. So well, super pumped about that. In gay world, there's a whole trend of mask for mask only it's oh, guys yeah. on the internet who it's are like masculine looking for masculine guys usually bomb. it's a i mean it's a a criticized trend because it's obviously like Super. normative yeah. and like but also a little refreshingly like it, like it tells you who they are pretty quickly oh yeah that they're like kind of not that smart and like really sort <laughs> of uncomfortable really close-minded yeah yeah and like yeah but do you find that you play your masculinity up when you're first meeting someone for example yeah, i do totally yeah. it's like unintentional and then you look back and you're like the fuck was i just doing how many fucking breaths do you have to take with that goddamn uh, <laughs> apple <laughs> these watch? are my friends and honestly i just got this so i don't know how to make it silent okay that's fine sorry <laughs> no you're because you're in new york and it wants to hang out I think with Adam. It's, it's no it's just my friend who's leaving the bronx now from teaching okay great cool um what was I saying? That the that oh you amp it up, oh, but, then, yeah. but then you'll find if you're hanging out with a bunch of queens, it's like girl, girl, girl. It gets yeah. like yeah, it's like the opposite. The safer you get, the more yeah gay you get. I think that's why everyone loves Fire Island. We love Fire Island because it's like just oh yeah, any queens in a bucket. Safer, I think, space like that. But I think our default in any uncertainty, which is meeting a new person, is to go towards something that we know is going to be a safe bet, right? Like yeah, um, code switch into that like safer persona did you have a special world with alex where you could be gayer no i was still i had just come out it was like did he get gayer there in, in the private? closet he he's pretty masculine acting for how like uh he's i don't know no i don't think he's changed much uh-huh. one thing about him i always did admire is that he was always like seemed to be very certain in his identity uh-huh. which i was jealous of um are you certain now Way more than I used to be, yeah. <laughs> How much is... Um, you do CrossFit. Yes. And you're very fit. Thank you. Is that part of that? You're, like, more comfortable in your body? Like, um, I'm hot I now? I think that's part of... No, no. Yes and no. Yes, because... No, because it's not just because I feel like, like I'm a better athlete or, like, look better. Yes, because working out helps my mental health so much that I think that on a day-to-day basis, I'm, like, so much happier and content with my life because I have that outlet to work out. Uh-huh. Were you always good with your body? Like, oh, my body's good, and now it's, like, better? No, definitely not, and still not, so... You're still not. Yeah, so that's, like, a... <laughs> that's, like, a thing that I'm constantly working on is not my body, but it's my self-acceptance. Uh-huh. So. That's great. Yeah. I'm just... It's funny to me because I, I think of myself as an athletic pear shape where I am, like, fit, <laughs> but I have a certain... Like, my ratio is what it is. <laughs> And like I've done, like I've gone on a fourteen-day canoe trip where I just you I when I was camp counselor and like exercise beyond belief in portage a canoe every day. And I was like, no matter how, like this is the maximum I'm ever willing to work on my yeah. body. If I don't love it after this, I'm not going to worry that much. Yeah. And it was like better, but like my body shape is not going to change. I mean, and most people's yeah. body shape is not going to change. But you have a very like T-shaped, like big arms, big pecs, like Thank you. fit <laughs> body. Somebody, I was just at a lake. So, like, what's your problem? Is my question. My problem, I don't know. I think it's like something that I have been in therapy, not like for that specifically, but it's been like I go to therapy every week, and that's something that we sometimes talk about. It's like I don't think I have full blown body dysmorphia, but I think that gay men in general, and yeah, gay men. I was gonna say gay people, but gay men specifically are like plagued by body image issues yes have you read the velvet rage i'm sure no i haven't but i should have. Oh, okay i know i have to leave um, <laughs> it's by yeah alan downs is has a lot of great insights in but that does that book. mean you'll hook up with people who are less attractive than you are i'm i'm 
You know how you learn more about a person by what questions they ask? It's like, I'm so revealing myself in such a terrible way. But No, I think that... Because because it's like message to normal looking people out there. Like, you can be with a hot person. They just might have body dysmorphia. And like, you... <laughs> you like, should capitalize on that. You can capitalize on that. <laughs> like, get in. <laughs> like, you never... Like, shoot your shot. Like, yeah. are there guys who have shot their shot with you? And you're like, wow, that was really fun. They look like... Billy at the mall. I actually get really, really intimidated and super, super awkward around really attractive people. Uh huh. Like, is that why you're so comfortable like... around me? No. <laughs> I'm like, I had to mentally prepare. That's why you feel so at home. Yeah. No, I can fake it too, so uh-huh. you'll never know. Oh, thanks, Adam. Um, That's but, really touching. But no. It is. T- this speaks to one issue that I have, which is like the stuff I study and research and read about is like so linked to like our day-to-day lives. It's like right. hard to separate sometimes, but right. yeah. But you find it's expanding your perspective and making life kind of easier for you. Yes, I both ways. So I think that doing this research is expanding my life in a lot of ways and also like continuing to live my life and not be like a shut-in academic also informs my research a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I have a few colleagues, people I know in the field who just like, just research all the time never go out never like see the world or or see the world like through a very like tourist book lens and i just think that's like how can you do research on humans when you don't have a human experience yeah and so i think that right now they're kind of like playing into each other in a nice way Uh uh-huh do you see yourself being a um like how do you see yourself sharing this work with people (laughs) Because you could do public speaking. I mean, you would go off on the internet. Thank you. If you had like a cute, <laughs> if you like took your cute little like whatever, I, like got your ten minute or twenty minute TED talk about the thing. Oh my god! Yeah, having a TED talk is like my dream. Yeah. So yeah, I'll help have you help me like write that one day. Yeah. But small feat. That would be amazing. So the impact side of my work, because a lot of it is like basic psychology that could stay in academia forever and never leave. Um, but I want to do this public policy PhD because it gives you a lot of like tractionable, no, tools that will make your work have like traction in the real world. So I will never be probably like using my research to directly inform policy. Like, unfortunately, we're way before we ever see a time where we start instituting like policies around how we should raise our kids in like a gender kind of way. Mm-hmm. Right. And you definitely can't tell parents how to parent like that kind of thing. But we could see policies in, like, schools where it's, like, no more gendered, like, outfits or, like, small steps like that. Um, the public policy side of my PhD is much more of, like, a community, what they call community psychology. So it's, like, how can we use what we know about psychology to inform the solving of, like, social issues at the community level? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, like, a fake public policy person. Because all my really smart policy friends are doing, like, cool research with, like, laws and huge data sets and, like... Mm-hmm. How does, like, housing poverty affect, like, kids' outcomes in schools and that kind of stuff? But I'm over here, like, Spoiler, let's do an experiment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm learning all the things, but I don't know if I'll ever be writing policy, per se, uh-huh. which I don't think that's right now something I want to do. You want to get married eventually? I want to get married, have 2.4 kids. Do you want to have a couple kids? I don't know yet. I don't know about kids, and I don't know about marriage. And I Why, don't, you don't know about marriage? No, I don't know if I want to get married. Why? I feel like... You want to be single your whole life? I did not say that. I just said I don't know if I want to get married. So you might want to have a long-term domestic boyfriend? Yeah. Partner. Partner. That's what I meant. I like yeah. I like to use a derogatory to kind of mm-hmm. keep the ball mm-hmm. rolling. Yeah. More of throwing at me. Yeah, 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 yeah. To yeah. see if you're aggression. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so a long-term partner would be fine, maybe. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. I really think that... I don't want to say this. What don't you want to say? If you are secure enough in your relationship, I don't necessarily think that for everyone a marriage is necessary to to like solidify that. I get the whole like. And you don't think that's something people say because they don't want to solidify it? I think it is. I think that's a great excuse if you don't want to, but I also think it could be true for a lot of people. You think it could be true for a lot of people? For a lot of people. Like, that that hypothetical situation where if you found the person with whom you are completely secure and with a person, I don't believe there's the person for everyone, sorry, um, a person who you are completely secure with, etc., having like a marriage to secure that relationship maybe isn't as necessary as we as a society have built it up to be 
I would agree that it's not necessary. Yes. And I think if you still want to have one, that's fine. But, like, I don't know if that's what I want. But don't you think the most solid relationship would... It would behoove you to get married if you had the most solid relationship? Okay. Are you talking about, like, tax benefits and stuff like that? No, I'm talking about the feeling of going to bed at night knowing that you have made a commitment to this person before all these other people. Yeah. That in a sense you've upped the ante. That like you're you're in it and it's not like because it serves you well, you're in it because you've just you've taken a vow. Yeah. I think it's a longer conversation. Okay. So you're like I don't really know yet because I'm with the person. I'm yeah, I have no idea. Um Uh and kids it's like if you have enough money and you're like bored enough. Yeah. I think that I grew up in the rural south where it's like, all right, you turn 18, time to get married and have kids. Like, it's like, wh- Or if you're ambitious, why? it's like ring by spring. Yeah. So it's like, why? So I started thinking about, like, why? And it's like, oh, all of these people are so insecure in their relationships. That they need marriage to, like, be this, like, false, I still consider it false, like, false promise right in itself it is not a, a security like, yes. vehicle yeah but i can see how as you like move through the stages of your relationship the marriage seems like a natural next step mm-hmm. i'm saying like what if we lived in this alternate reality where there was no marriage mm-hmm. would you like to be with one person for the rest of your life if you like found a good one yeah i think i would like i think that people are great in pairs mm-hmm. and you find that you work well in pairs when it's good yeah yeah and i like the relationships i see that are in pairs and I surprisingly haven't had much exposure to polygamous couples, but... <laughs> Is that surprising? <laughs> well, I was just saying, like, what would I compare my experience with pairs to? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But again, I just wonder, like, what is the point of marriage? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people just be like, because you just get married when it's time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that's not enough for me. Uh-huh. Well, I think it's, like... I think it's just I think it's just like a ballsy thing to do. And yeah, like so shows there's that also that. Like see, I think up. it's a really easy thing to do. I think marriage really? is an easy thing to do for a lot of people. Because you've seen people get out of it easy. No, not because it's easy to get out of, because it's just easy to get into. Because it's just like what you do. It's like uh-huh. you start walking. You like ride a bike when you are old enough. You like go to school. Like these are all things you go to college. Like paying for college, going to college isn't necessarily easy, but you just do it nowadays. And yeah. so it's just like a next step in life. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of couples just, like, do it to get married because, like, they've been dating for four years or five years or, like, one year. Or yeah. But don't you see the super old couples who are like, oh, we got married when we were 22 and we had nothing and now we're living our best lives together. Look at what we've accomplished. I think as a statistician, I would have to not take, like, one-off examples like that. Okay, well, having one set of, <laughs> grand- one set of grandparents who that happened to. Yeah, no, I, that happened to my grandparents, too. Um, yeah. And... I think it's just so variable, right? Like, also, who's just, why did that couple need to get married? Yeah, right. That's kind of my... I like it also in the space where I'm like, challenge everything. Yes, <laughs> like, yeah, well, that's that's so, appropriate. Right. What is the, um, the one and thing... And you ask, so I get to answer. That's true. <laughs> what is the um, one nugget you hope your work... What is the one takeaway you want people to take from the work you've done so far? Men in particular. Like what, sorry to ask for a clarifying question, but like what would I, what advice would I give what men are you, or what advice would I give society about men? Men, specifically. I would say to men, like we were talking about earlier, that you need to find environments that allow you to explore your identity and allow you to remove the restrictedness of other contexts that may be limiting your growth, um, your like natural growth. Um, Cause I don't think that they're gonna go, I don't think the advice to like be yourself, do what you want could get like a lot of backlash, right? There could be a lot of like danger in that for some people. Right. And so instead of that, I would say like be yourself, but make sure like, not make sure, but try to find environments that are going to or nurture you. And there's a psychologist named Alison Gopnik who's like, has like changed the field of developmental psychology and she describes it as um either parents and pain the parenting context can either be like carpenters or gardeners carpenters are trying to like 
make sure the humidity in the room is right and use the correct tools to like make a very specific outcome like a chair or a table whereas gardeners you just kind of have to be like okay well I gave it really great soil and I watered it and like the weather might suck or the animals might come and eat it but I gave it the best environment that it could be in and so for me kind of taking that analogy it would be like boys and then young men especially should find environments in which they are able to like thrive and flourish um even if they aren't sure what that looks like for themselves go toward the people who seem to be the ones who are open to that kind of support that's really beautiful thank you <laughs>